This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9. I'm Wong Xiaoning together with Keith Kam. Yes, Keith Kam. Hello, morning. Morning. Uh, and this is, of course, the morning run. No, you're not listening to the wrong show. It's not news. It is the morning run. It is 6 a.m. <laughs> Thursday, a very wet 4th of August. And uh, I hope all those who are driving, please take care on the roads. It's rather slippery with all the, the rain. It's been raining the last two, three days, actually. It has, uh, it's it's kind of like maybe a relief in a way, but, uh, you know, along with the rain comes floods. Um, so, I mean, just use use ways to get around if you, if, you, if you have to, because obviously there will be roads that will end up being a little bit more inundated and definitely slippery. So drive slowly. Yeah, and it's going to rain, unfortunately, almost the whole day, according to my phone, until 4pm. So be be, pre- be prepared excuse me, for bad traffic. Uh, but as usual, we, despite the weather, it's rather hot here in the studio because we've got lots of exciting stories, right? At 7.15, we're going to be asking about FDI and in terms of how we can attract it. Because Malaysia has agreed in principle to implement a global minimum tax rate of 15% on multinational companies. So we can't use tax anymore as an incentive to attract FDI. So what should we be doing then? We asked Dr. Jeffrey Williams, an economist at the Malaysia University of Science and Technology, that exact question. Then at 7.30, what's happening, Keith? At 7.30, we follow Nancy Pelosi on a trip in Asia, not with Flight Radar 24. But, Which uh, crashed. I think almost crashed, right? <laughs> almost crashed. I looked, I looked it up as well. But I, I tried Flight Aware and that worked just as well. With a look at what she intends to accomplish with the Korean and Japanese governments, William Pesek, columnist with Nikkei Asia, tells us. And then at 7.30, 45, as we know, the control of tobacco product and smoking bill is now referred to the Parliament Parliamentary Special Select Committee. I think there have been, what, 12, 13 members, MPs picked for that committee. We speak to one of them, Dr. Kelvin Yee, MP for Banda Kuching, uh, in terms of what they plan to do. Um, and all this and more on the morning run. So stay tuned for this, BFM 89.9. And that was Dry the Rain by Beta Band. This is our plight to the skies out there. It is 6 Thursday, the 4th of August on a very wet day, actually wet morning. Actually, um, there's one advice I kind of want to give people because this is what I found out uh, this morning. Uh, keep your umbrella in the, in the car with you, not in the boot. Yes, I don't understand that. Why people do that? Like they mir- miraculously can go- get to the boot without getting wet. I did that this morning, so... Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, that was the voice of Keith Kam and I'm Wong Xiaoning. Now, up next, we've got this rather interesting article, which I believe Keith Kam chose because he's actually secretly delighted. <laughs> um, it's from The Guardian and it's entitled... Women may not live longer than men after all, right? Keith, did you rejoice? Not not really, because uh, I think everybody's philosophy should be, you know, you, you shouldn't focus on how long you live, but the quality of life you 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 actually have while you're living and the kind of impact you have on the world. Um, I suppose, I, I think everybody's mantra should be just to be kind to yourself, to the people around you, to the environment, and... Uh, and then we can go hold hands and sing Kumbaya. But anyway, it, I thought it, it's YOLO. <laughs> anyway, it, I thought it, has, it could be summed up in one word: YOLO. I don't know lah. It, it has been a long held belief, though, that women typically live longer than men. And uh, a recent recent study, however, has found that that they, that may not be the case anymore. This this study that I'm 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 quoting is uh, was done by BMJ Journal in, and they're based in Denmark. The result was uh, was. 
because of an analysis which covered two, uh, two centuries across the world. Uh, they studied um, uh, 190 countries or something. And the conclusion is that although men have a lower life expectancy than uh, women, they also have a substantial chance of outliving females. Yeah, provided they are married or have a degree. Yeah, that's what they said. Uh, but that's very telling though. It is, it is, it is. It's very, very interesting. And 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 the difference is that it's 25% to 50% who can actually outlive women. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, do you want to get married? I mean, I have a university degree, so... You should live longer, <laughs> is it? But well, maybe not as long as if I actually got married. Got married and had a university <laughs> degree. So that would actually make you live longer than I, longer than average, right? I, and, and, and I think uh, I, I have to apologize to some of the friends here who, you know, when, when we talk about uh, living long and looking young, I usually make fun of them because, you know, they're married. That's probably why they look older. Oh, no. <laughs> We're going to get lots of complaints, Keith. <laughs> uh, well, I'll tell it to my younger brother, though. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, uh, in Malaysia, this statistics um, it doesn't hold true because the Department of Statistics came out with some data recently in July. Yeah. Um, and it's life expectancy. But it's more in terms of if you were born today, how long you would live on average. That's the way we should look at the data. Yes. And on average, Malaysians will live for 75.6 years versus 63.6 years five decades ago. So we have definitely made strides. And I think a lot of it has to do with lifestyle changes, better healthcare and an awareness of what you shouldn't and shouldn't do, right? But in Malaysia still, women will live longer. On average, it's 78.3 years for females and 73.2 years for males. Now, I think these studies are useful because maybe what we can do is when we look at this data, we can make certain adjustments in terms of our healthcare policy, our social protection policy, even things like we should start planning for like accessibility at public, you know, public transport, Transport in malls, or you know, things like that, we should consider because we are really heading towards an aging population. We will be where Japan is by 2056. But I think the point about this article that resonates with me is exactly what you said, Keith, in that it doesn't matter how long you mm. live, but it's the life that you live, you led, or Make you sure live. Yeah, it's quality. Uh, so you know what? What should people do when they when they look at data like this? Do they think, oh, I only got like so many years left? So what should I? You know, what is my bucket list? Oh well, that's the thing. I, I mean, it's your bucket list should always be to ensure that you leave leave behind a, a better world than. I mean, it's like when you go to toilet, right? Uh, you, you, <laughs> what, what, I mean, this is the most okay, this, this is the most simplistic kind of analogy. Uh, analogy I can give you. Like when you go to toilet, uh, you like toilet. The toilet should be a certain way. So make sure that when you finish using the toilet and you're done with it, make sure that it's either the same way that you found it or even better for the next person. Okay, so leave, um, leave the world. Leave, better. leave the world better. But you know, at the rate we are destroying the environment, mm. uh, I'm not sure we will really leave the world in a better place. But uh, do let us know what you think. How do you plan to, you know, how do you plan to have a better life, knowing that your life expectancy in Malaysia on average is 75 years? Now that's kind of a depressing note. But think about it on this very wet Wednesday. Let us know what you think. You can WhatsApp in zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine, or you can tweet us at BFM Radio. Up next, we've got some messages. Keep it here, BFM eighty nine point nine. It's 6.19, Thursday the 4th of August and of course you're listening to The Morning Run with Ki Kwam and I'm Wong Shaoning and that song was Ragged Wood by Fleet Foxes. Now, up next we've got this local story actually from The Star 
And it's actually the picture says more than the words of the article. <laughs> and it's entitled, Costly Co- Coffin-Sized Room, Young Tenants in Klang Valley Get Squeezed by Sky-High Rent Rates. That's a, that's a mouthful of a title. But if you look at the picture, it literally, this room that you can rent is the size of a very thin, flimsy, single mattress on the floor with a fan and that room is going to be rented out for 300 ringgit. Now, when you look at the article and you read through it, it's actually a room in Maluri, apparently near transportation. Ironically, it's apparently, it can be rented out for such a ridiculous rate even though the size is tiny because it has a view of KLCC. But there's no window in this room, so I don't know what view. It just looks sad, doesn't it? It just looks incredibly sad. I, I don't know like how a miserable. person. Yeah, I don't even know how a person can put his pants on in this place. To be honest, I, there's no place to hang clothes for for the, for that matter. There's nothing. It's just a flimsy thin mattress with a with a fan above it. That's it. A tiny what do you call it? Like those swivel fans attached to a wall. Yeah, I I kind of want to give it the benefit of the doubt a little bit as well because uh, I want to assume and. Um, yeah, hopefully that there is a place for a, a cupboard outside that that space, yeah. and that technically shouldn't count as a, a a room. It should be more of a sleeping place, a, a bed with four walls. Oh yeah, well, mm. it's uh, really four walls that probably come crashing on you in the middle of the night. Uh, it's honestly, it's like a better, slightly airier version of a capsule hotel, if you ask me. Yeah, it's got at least a ceiling. It's got a ceiling. <laughs> you can stand up straight. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, literally you, you you would have to walk into the room, do a quick 180 degrees turn, and then you lie down. That's it. That's the space, actually. Let's literally, we're like trying you, to give you some, like a visual idea of how tiny it is. Let's just say radio, you, you, right? can't, yeah, you can't spread your, your arms out. Maybe for me, can. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm small. But the point is, actually... Why is KL like this? Why, uh, you know, why is there suddenly apparently a surge of demand for rental rooms so much so that landlords can charge? For some people in in, in the Twitter sphere, saying this is unreasonable. You know, three hundred ringgit for this is it really something that we should allow in Malaysia? Should we, as a country, have a have a rental policy in terms of a minimum size? What should the room have? Should it have you know like a certain dimension? Should it have a window? Should it have some Cupboard space, should there be a place for people to pray? Things like that. There were question marks asked by netizens. I actually think that there might have been uh, laws on this. Um, I mean, I'm just like gleaning through the internet, which is everybody's source of information these days. Um, this is something that was back in 2015. Uh, the MPSJ, the Subang Jai Municipal Council, they had guidelines to regulate accommodation. This was specifically for student accommodation, but I think it should apply to everybody. Uh, a 600 square foot low cost house should only have a maximum of six persons. Um, that's like maybe a hundred square foot per person. And I th- I think that's like uh, the, the minimum. But I think the sad thing about this small, tiny capsule size unit is um, it's probably targeted at um, um, migrant workers yep. here. Yes. Uh, and also when you think about it, right, why are people forced to, to rent rooms this size? Because maybe their budget really is 300 ringgit. This is all they can afford, right? Because if they had a bigger budget, I'm sure they wouldn't want to be in such a small room. And when I think about it, okay, let's say it's assuming it's, it's beyond 
uh, migrant workers. It could also be something that a young person, that's all they can really afford in Malaysia because we know wages have been depressed, right? So I went into the Department of Statistics to find out what is the median and mean average wage of a Malaysian. And this part is sad because... Uh, the mean is 2,933 ringgit. Now, if you are between the ages of 25 to 29, it's only 1,817. And if you are 20 to 24, it's 1,289 ringgit. So really, if that's what you're earning, then $300 is about as much as you can manage, right, for rent. Not to mention the cost of living in the city is actually quite high. So Very high. Mm. So what what's left in terms of food? transportation and a bit of joy in life. Not much. And it doesn't really help. Uh, it helps a little bit in terms of your education. So if you're in university, the median average wage is 3500 If you only have secondary school education, it's 1630 And all this data comes from the Department of Statistics. So my point about this is is that is yes, it's a, it's a very, it's kind of an, a, you know, like a wake-up call. But should we be looking at wages in general so that Malaysians earn more and can afford to have better choices? Uh, and also when it comes to migrant workers, are we paying them too little that they have no choice or so? I think employers also need to have, need to sit down and um, take a relook at how they treat their own staff as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but let us know what you think. Uh, you can tweet in at BFM Radio or you can WhatsApp in 018-789-8899. Uh, but up next, of course, is the 6.30am news bulletin. And to take us out is... We built this city by Starship. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. And that was Ready to Start by Arcade Fire. And I hope that song has literally made you ready to start for the day because the tune is rather groovy. 6.41, it's Thursday, the 4th of August. And of course, you're listening to The Morning Run with Keith Kam, who's sitting in front of me, and I'm Wong Shaoning. At this time of the morning, we look through all the international headlines. And I think it's Pelosi, Pelosi, Pelosi in Asia. That's tip, That's I think dominating pretty much uh, most of the international newspapers, at least for me. When Nancy did Asia. <laughs> yes. Well, um, well, in front of me is the Financial Times and the headline is Nancy Pelosi vows US support for Taiwan as officials warn of China military blockade. I, I do wonder what her, the purpose of her visit here is. It's been pretty much of a whirlwind visit. Like, uh, uh, she didn't even stay the night in Malaysia, for one no, thing. No, no, it it's was just, like six, seven hours max. Yeah, she arrived here in the afternoon, morning or afternoon, and she left. And then in her it, pink suit. Yeah, and it was like maybe a six, seven hour flight to from Subang to, to, uh, to, to Taipei. Uh, five hours or five and a half, four uh, and a half plus, right? That's Which, not what it. Uh, oh, because she went the, the long way to yeah. avoid a certain parts of the South China Sea. Yeah, it was it was quite comical to see. I, I was following it on 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 one of those uh, uh flight tracking websites. Uh, but I think with her the highlight of this trip to Asia, which is supposed to be Singapore, Malaysia, Japan, and Korea, is clearly the secret mission to Taiwan, which wasn't officially announced until the very mm. very last minute, right? And it was leaked uh, actually. It was leaked, yeah. yeah. But anyway, she has pledged an ironclad US commitment to Taiwan uh, that has, of course, made China extremely mad and raised warnings that the military maneuvers um, are expected in retaliation, which would amount to a blockade of the island. Um, uh, live drills are already ongoing right now. Um, there are there are concerns about what's what's going on, um, you know, uh, off the coast of Taiwan. And uh, there is an island which is literally sh- screaming distance uh, to 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 the to the island of uh, Xiamen, which is on 
mainland China. Um, so it it's kind of like it, it will be very interesting to to watch. Uh, chatting with my friends in in Taipei, uh, they weren't too concerned about what's going on. People are still going out, uh, pretty much doing their own stuff. I mean, what else can you do, right? I suppose Taiwan, they're pretty used to this, isn't it? Life just goes on. But I think she's off to uh, Japan and Korea next. Mm -hmm. And actually, we'll be talking to William Pesek, a columnist at Nikkei Asia, about what her intentions are uh, when she visits these two North Asian countries. Because actually, it's pretty much shrouded in mystery. We don't really know much about her itinerary, her agenda. Uh, for Korea, for example, she's only visiting one official, Japan, she's visiting the two. The Speaker of the House in, yeah, in South so Korea. Yeah, so what's the purpose there, actually? Has it got anything to do with the Quad? Because that's the Security Alliance, at least for Japan. So do tune in at 7.30. Hopefully, we will have some colour on her visit. But other news that has caught your eye? Yeah, uh, the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, he wants governments to tax excessive oil and gas profits. I mean, we've seen how uh, how. CPO, no, sorry, how crude oil prices, Brent crude oil prices have, have gone up in the past year. So there's going to be quite um, an obscene amount of uh, profits that these companies make. And all this on the back of inflation, high gas prices, high petroleum prices, uh, high food prices because of the war as well, which actually caused the uh, price of crude oil to, to shoot up as well. Um, he cited the fact that these firms made in excess of $100 billion in Q1 this year and he wants these funds to be instead used to support vulnerable uh, communities around the world. Um, you know, everyone is a part of this energy crisis. Those were his take-home words. Yeah, even like a company like uh, Ramco in Saudi Arabia has become the largest company in terms of market cap just because of the ex extraordinary profits and we see that across the board whether it's BP whether it's Exxon Mobil Shell all having record profits on the back of oil prices consistently being almost above 100 US dollars a barrel although this morning it is 96 dollars for brand crude uh, but yeah I think there will be calls for this. Um, I I have to, I, I, I just want to uh, give a little bit of update. Uh, Ukraine actually said that uh, they have 16 ships that are ready to go out now. Mm. Um, you know, um, these will be carrying grains and three vessels will leave the port each day for the next two weeks. weeks. They hope to export 3 million tonnes of grain by sea per month. Before this, it was... Nil. Double, double the amount. Uh, double the I mean, amount before, before, the, before war. the war. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so hopefully a bit of relief in terms of uh, uh, food prices. But uh, we're heading into some messages, so keep it here. BFM eighty nine point nine six fifty. It's Thursday, the fourth of August, and that song was "Linger" by the Cranberries. You're listening to the morning run. In front of me is Keith Calm, and I'm Wong Shaoning. Now, at this time of the morning, we look through all the local stories that are in the papers and also on the portals. Keith, would you like to start, please? Yeah, um, on a rainy morning like today, um, let's talk about floods because, you know, uh, that's kind of like what we tend to grow up with. Uh, <laughs> this time, I, I, we know that in the past couple of days, Johor had been experiencing flash floods. Um, the, the photos of, of cars submerged in the middle of the highway. I just cannot imagine the traffic, um, you know, and people who can't get back home or even worse, uh, people who live in areas which are flood prone they start, have to start moving furniture and, and electrical items upstairs and usually they lose money in the process right because yeah. the items will definitely get damaged 
I'm hoping that that's not not what's happening in uh, Taman Sri Muda in, in Shah Alam right now. But anyway, Kedah has been experiencing floods again as well. Uh, this time in Kedah, the rain had been coming down since Tuesday uh, continuously. And over the past couple of days, 12 villages were ravaged and sadly, three people have died. Uh, Menteri Besar, uh, Dato Sanusi Matno's response accept it with an open heart and be grateful for whatever blessings they have received. Um, yeah, so... Does that bring comfort <laughs> to people? I don't know. I mean, he seems to think it, it, it does, but that, that's, just, that's just it, right? If we've, we've reached a certain point where we do find that a lot of our politicians, um, uh, well, they, 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 they feel that this is the easiest way to respond to things. Um, uh, in the meantime, you know, the state government expects that the housing project for these flood-hit families will be completed by year's end. But my question is, when? what are they going to do until the year end? And uh, Why does this keep happening? What are the mitigation issue, uh, plans then? Because we can't stop the rain. And, and you know, we, we definitely cannot stop the rain. And it's not something unusual because the same thing happened in early July, early last month. And this flood in Kedah as well damaged 12 villages. And uh, he blamed it on a water surge upstream. Because there was a lot of concern that there was going to be a 200 hectare Musang King Duran Farm project that might have uh, caused these things to worsen because of all the land clearing and... and, and you well, know. the Malay mail cites uh, exactly this story, right? So Kada MB says, Musa King project not the cause of ba- Baling flood tragedy. Then what is? Yeah, but that's the thing. Uh, that's besides the point. Um, whether or not it caused the flood tragedy, that Musang King farm project um, did not pass EIA, an EIA uh, an, an environmental impact assessment mm-hmm. because the report said that there were risks posed and uh, Sanusi still gave the project a go-ahead. Okay. Um, and saying on the topics of floods, because the PAC calls the Federal Territory Ministry in over an anti-flood plan, which flaw, uh, planned flaws in an audit report. This is reported in the Malaysian Insight. It's a... Uh, it's Auditor General's report's time again. Yes, and we, we're seeing trickle of it come out and it's not very flattering. That's that's the honest truth. To be in the AG's report, uh, you've been a bad boy. I've like, uh, I, I mean, I keep wondering why... Um, why why these ministries and these government agencies don't do anything to improve uh, the situation uh, we get reports of uh, of leakages m- money going where it's not supposed to be going every year year in year out it's the same story and i don't know i get tired reporting it and bear in mind right the whole audit involved projects this is the uh, so you know there was uh, the pac said that the audit contained nine reports on eight ministries with 33 recommendations. This is uh, the Auditor General telling the PAC on the National Audit Report that was tabled in Parliament. It involved projects worth 10.75 billion ringgit. This is a lot of that money, right? That is a right? lot of money. Uh, and there were some question marks, one of which, of course, is the flood project. Now, like you say, Keith, year in, year out, lots of these reports where money wasn't spent in a fight in a in the best manner possible. Mm. It's taxpayers' money. Yes, it's, it's our money. It's our money. Yeah. Uh, who's held accountable for it? I don't ever see any any accountability at the end of the day because, uh, like we said a couple of weeks ago, that is a foreign word in Malaysia. Yeah. So okay, money. We know the government is very fiscally constrained, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we've spent more than forty billion. It, okay, we plan for like 30 plus billion for tar- targeted subsidies. The final bill is going to be something like 77.7 billion. The government is trying to ask people to save money, including government servants. But 
shouldn't we be considering all these wastages as another way of saving money in the first place? That's a lot of money that can be saved. Yeah, so what is the procurement policy? Is there transparency in terms of the bidding projects? And then when projects go wrong, uh, is there any clawback from the, let's say, I'm, I'm assuming there's some contractors involved? What, what happens then? Yeah, um, I mean, specifically, the Audit- Auditor General's report uh, pointed out to DBKL's flood prevention measures because that is something that's important. It's the, 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 the Klang Valley, Federal Territory, Kuala Lumpur, which is known for its floods and, you know, the devastating uh, inconvenience. Impact it has, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, we'll be following. We will we'll be. We will be following the AG's report very closely in the next few days. Uh, but up next, we've got the seven AM news bulletin, and to take us out is "New Light" by John Mayer. Keep it here, BFM eighty nine point nine. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM eighty nine point nine, the Business Station.